What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on ComboChurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. message. Hey, do me a favor. We're We're going into a brand new series today that I am... Uh, I am absolutely fired up about, and, uh, and, and I love to preach, but sometimes these things, God brings these things along that just kind of light a fire in my own heart, and uh, today we're going to start a, a five-week series called Uncensored Holy Spirit, and uh, if you're an OG, maybe you recognize the name, this is a new message, this is a new series, but it was so good, I had to repurpose it, it's just a, it's a great series title, and we're diving in today, so let's start off by going to 2 Timothy Chapter 3, that's in the, in the New Testament, maybe further back in the New Testament. If you have a Bible with you or you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, as you're turning there, I want to make uh, just kind of an introductory statement as we go into today's message. Christianity was never meant to be an observation. Can I get an amen from three people? Um, it was never meant to be an observation. Uh, Christianity has always been... Uh, about power, and, uh, and, and I use that in the, in the context of the power of God, God who is a powerful God working through his people, and that's not just something that started from the New Testament on, Old Testament, New Testament, Genesis to Revelation, and in the world in which we live right now, we see God moving in power. God operates through people in power. He operates through kingdoms in power. He moves miraculously in power. And a powerless Christianity, if I could say this, is not a Christianity at all. It's, a, it's, it's more of a humanistic belief system that makes a religion out of fallen humanity while using God to justify our thoughts, opinions, and actions with no transformation whatsoever. And, uh, and, and we don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. And I don't want to see that in the church at, at, at large. I want to see a church is filled with the power of God. Because I think even if you look throughout history and you see the ebbs and the flows of of moments throughout world history where things seem to be horrible and then other points in history where things seem to be good, if you were to track the ebb and the flow of the church and the people of God throughout that, you'll see something that's in common. It's that when the people of God begin to get comfortable in their religion and they begin to lose sense of leaning into the power of who God is, that we begin to see the power of God leak from his people and lose its impact in society. And you see kingdoms fall. You see nations fall. You see evil rise. You see things begin to happen that you're like, I can't believe this is even happening. And what happens historically is that eventually, instead of God's people complaining about what's going on around us, we begin to realize, hey, wait a minute, I think we may be playing a part in this. And God begins to convict us because I want you to realize God will always be able to convict his people before he's able to convict people who don't know him. And God begins to move on his people and move on on the church and begins to convict us. And we begin to realize, hey, it's not the world that's at fault, it's the church that's at fault because we have lost sight of the things that matter. We have lost sight of our identity and we have lost sight of the very power that God gives us to be an influence in the world around us. And what should happen in those moments is it should be driving us to our knees and not saying, God, will you help this world? But God, will you forgive us? of not being who you created us to be. 
God, would you forgive us of not being who you said that we can be? God, would you forgive us of, of taking our eyes off of you and, and putting our hope in people and in people's systems instead of going to you and believing that you were going to use your people? And so you see this, that's called repentance. And then all of a sudden the church begins to repent and they turn to God and we begin to walk in the authority and the love and the power and the grace of who we are. And over time, that begins to change the world around us. And so listen, don't allow us, even when we look at the world around us right now, we can be very frustrated and be like, well, there's nothing I can do. It's so messed up. What can we possibly do? Well, what we can do is we can get on our knees and we can return to understanding that there is a power that comes from God that he desires to demonstrate through his people. And so as we, as we dive into this series, uh, we're gonna talk about not just the power of God, but the person of God who brings power into his people. And so let's read in, in 2 Timothy chapter three. And as, as I read through these, these five verses, verses one through five, uh, I don't want you to think about this in the context of, of, of 2,000 years ago. I want you to think in the context of today. Paul didn't write this to you, but it was written for us. And so we need to understand that as we read. And Paul's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. He says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents. I always loved that that was thrown in there. It's like, is that really? I was like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not just a thing. It's a sign of times as well. Disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. It says they will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we ask in the moments that we have here today, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and our ears and our mind to receive what you're trying to speak to us. Uh, God, I pray that no matter what our background is in church or outside of church, that we would lay down preconceived ideas of what we think and we would allow ourselves to be shaped by your word to know you more deeply, and would you help us to be more desperate for you than we have ever been in our lives, God. And we thank you for your faithfulness and that you are here, Holy Spirit, in the room to meet with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So listen, when we, talk about, when we talk about power today, um, I'm speaking of a supernatural power from God that takes your faith and turns it into transformation. It takes your faith, it turns it into life change. Power to hear God's word and follow God's word. Power to witness to others about Jesus. Power to operate in spiritual gifts that God would give us who believe. And power to ask for and believe for signs and wonders, miracles, and the supernatural happenings of God. Power for parents to, to raise their children according to God's word and God's identity and not what the world is trying to cram in their face. Power for marriages to fight for what God called the husband and the wife to be together. Christianity needs again to become a faith of power. You, I need to become Christians of power. <clears throat> not private Christians, not quiet Christians, not modern Christians whose faith is a poisonous cocktail of coexisting with the world's values around us, but a faith of power because that's who God is and that's who he desires his church to be. So in this passage we read in 2 Timothy, that word power comes from the Greek word dynamis. It's where we get words like uh, dynamic and dynamite. 
And it means a deed manifesting great power with the implication of some supernatural force. Now, so we're, we're painting the picture that this power is not just, it's not something that you gritted your teeth and you went to the gym a lot and now you've got power. So you're like, ah, oh, I'm gonna make power happen. No, this is something supernatural beyond yourself. Just in the biblical sense throughout scripture, uh, Christians having power speaks to possession of controlling influence, often understood as manifesting influence over reality in a supernatural manner. And what that means is that the power of God in you isn't just to be able to smile during the day. It's actually something that of God in you that can transform the reality of what's happening around you. So it's not, it's, not, it's not just an intellectual thing. There is something there that is greater than what we see, greater than what we experience. And it's not just happening out there. God desires it to happen in here. And then as it happens in here, he desires for that same power to move through his people and through his church so that the reality that we see in the world around us doesn't have to stay that way. The only way and I mean the only way that we will return power to true Christianity is by knowing and embracing by faith the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen. We gotta, and I'm telling you, this isn't something that you're just like, oh, okay, let me, let me flip the switch. Let me, yeah, yeah, God, power of God, let's do this. I'm telling you, there needs to be something deep down inside of you that realizes that without the fullness of who God is, there's something missing. And I'm telling you again, like I said, when I see these testimonies of these young people who are experiencing something that maybe they've never experienced before, never encountered before, something that came alive to them that before was a concept, but now they can't deny it anymore because they've encountered something that's changed their life. It, it puts a new desperation inside of me. Like I've been doing this my whole life. I was born and raised in a church, not, at, not on my birthday. I was, it was in a hospital, but I was raised in a church my entire life. I've experienced amazing things and encounters with God in my life, but I'm here to tell you that if that's your story or even if that's not your story, that the fullness of who God is is bigger than what you've experienced before. It's bigger than what you've read before. It's bigger than what has blown your mind before. And there are things that I've encountered with the Lord that I wouldn't even begin to describe to you because I don't know how to articulate it, but I don't wanna just think of the great moments I had with God I wanna be desperate for what God has in front of me. I wanna be desperate to know God more and more every single day. And I know in my humanity, I'm so limited in understanding who God is. He's, he's infinite, I am not. But that cry of my heart to know God and to live a life and for us to be a church, that the passion that we have to embody the fullness of who God is by the grace of God, We'll do something in the world around us that sometimes we can be overwhelmed at the changes that are needed. We can be overwhelmed with what media throws in our face all the time. And, and sometimes we can be overwhelmed with what we see when we look in the mirror to know that there is so much more. And God says, hey, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm generous with it. I wanna give you all of it. I want you, but you gotta come after it. I'm not gonna force it upon you. I'm not gonna force my spirit upon you. I'm asking you to come after it. And when you do that, I'm gonna meet you with it. And I'm gonna give you everything that you would desire and more if you would continue to come to me. Amen. One of the most important things, one of the most important doctrines in the Christian church is the doctrine of the Trinity. And we're gonna put this up because this is important for us to kind of understand as a basis. 
uh, throughout 2,000 years of the church, there there have been pockets and moments here and there where different groups have have tried to kind of create different explanations and different teachings of this. But the most consistent, accurate, historical teaching of God from Scripture uh, encapsulates God in, in the essence of the Trinity, which is this. God is three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that each person is fully God with different function, but there is one God. There's one God in three persons. And so, um, you know, at some point, we have to realize that the infinite nature of God will supersede our human ability to completely wrap our minds around every attribute of who God is and how God works together. So there, there, what does it take? It takes faith. It takes faith to say, okay, if this is what God's word teaches, then that's what I'm gonna choose to believe. And yeah, the word Trinity is not, in, is not found in scripture but that doesn't negate it from being taught. The principle, the practice, the methodology, the identification of who God is and how God works together is all throughout Genesis to Revelation, is filled throughout scripture. And so we, we follow that same teaching within our church because it's accurate, it's historical, it's scriptural, and we follow that. So not a whole lot of people necessarily have a problem with, with God the Father, even people that are Christians and people that are not, and they, maybe they're familiar with some of the Christian faith. They're like, sure, the Father, sure. Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ, God the Son. Okay, sure, yeah. You know, he was, he was, a, he was a figure. He was there. And I, maybe I have different beliefs about it, but yeah, I don't have a problem identifying that. But it's when we start talking about the Holy Spirit that people begin to have some problems wanting to embrace and talk about and lean into and be open to and honestly, that's not a problem in the world. The problem with that is actually in the church context. And here's why. Because no part of who God is takes more faith to embrace what it's supposed to be than the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Because it takes us to a place where we actually should be uncomfortable. It takes us to a place where it's going to stretch us. And so as we endeavor to go throughout these next, you know, four weeks after this, these five weeks of uncensored Holy Spirit, our desire is to not create an outcome at the end of this series, to, to create some uh, Pentecostal uh, moment for every single person. It's not to create an experience that you or I may be familiar with or comfortable with. It's for us to simply have an open heart that says, God, everything that you reveal to us in your scripture, we want to be open to receiving whether I'm comfortable with it, whether I'm uncomfortable with it, whether I've been taught one way or taught another way or not taught at all. I want everything that you are, God. And I want everything for my life. And God, if it means you ripping apart my paradigm, then feel free to rip it apart. It takes that type of, that type of perspective. So yeah, so the Trinity all throughout scripture, we see the, the attributes of God, the three persons of God as one interacting, working together. In Genesis, God says, let us make man in our image. Who's he talking to? He's not talking to the angels. We're not made in the, in, in the image of the angels. We see God interacting within the attributes and the nature of who he is. Isaiah, he's saying, who will go for us? Again, who's he talking about? He's not game planning with the angels. He's talking about the attributes and the nature of, of who will go for God. Isaiah 6, 8, Isaiah says, here I am, send me. So as we dive into uncensored Holy Spirit, I pray that every single week you would come in hungry, open, even if you got questions, even if you're struggling with it, even if some of the things that we pull out of scripture goes against everything that you've been taught, all I'm asking is keep showing up, keep leaning in, and keep asking God to reveal himself to you. 
because he will. I don't have to convince anybody anything. I'm learning, I'm growing as well. But what we do need to do is keep ourselves open before the Lord. The fullness of the Holy Spirit cannot be contained or controlled by, by one movement, by one denomination, um, by, by, one, uh, by our own personal freedoms, our own levels of comfort. Uh, and here, here's some declarations that I wanna tell you about Convo Church. Convo Church is gonna be dedicated to embracing all that scripture teaches us about the Holy Spirit, which includes what seems to be easy to receive as well as those things that are gonna stretch us like crazy. Um, we're gonna embrace the scriptural, historical, and faithful role and person of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we're gonna endeavor to not limit who God is. So today we're focusing in this, it's kind of like the intro message for the series, okay? So we're focusing today on the person of the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit is a person, not just a force or a presence or an energy or a vibe or a feeling, right? No, the Holy Spirit is a, is a person. And he may not be a person in the context of what we know, like, Bryce, you're a person. Yeah, well, the Holy Spirit isn't a flesh person. The Holy Spirit is a spirit but a person in an essence of its attributes, its own unique identity, its individuality. <clears throat> and so let's go ahead to John chapter 14, if you will, the gospel of John. If you open up in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, uh, go to John chapter 14. And we're gonna kind of Bible study through this a little bit. And, and I'm gonna tell you that, that after we're done here today, and even this week, I wanna encourage you to, to take John 14, 15, and 16. Three chapters, really easy, not very long. And this week, like, look through it, pray through it, study it, meditate on it, and ask God to show you uh, what he wants to reveal to you through this. Because this is the, the, the foundational uh, passage where Jesus begins to introduce, you see, you see the interaction of the Trinity, but you also see the introduction of the person of the Holy Spirit. Y'all ready for this? We're gonna do it anyway. Here we go. John chapter 14, and, and the vast majority of this is Jesus speaking himself. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Here's a little thing. When you hear Jesus referring to God, he's referring to the Father. Sometimes in conversation, I'll hear, I'll hear people use verbiage like God and Jesus. I'm like, well, you don't have to say that because it's one. If you're talking about Jesus, you're talking about God. If you're talking about God, Jesus is involved. So I want you to understand when Jesus says God, he's not saying that he's not God, and, but he's, he's important, but there's God. No, he is speaking of the Father. That's important to understand. There is more, and he says, there is more than enough room in my Father's house. And if this were not so, I would not have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Jesus here is speaking of the second coming, which has not yet happened yet. If you hear anybody saying that it has, say no. Okay. <clears throat> Great theological rebuttal. Verse four, and he says, and you know the way to where I am going. Here comes Thomas. No, we don't, Lord. We have literally no idea where you're going. I threw in literally. So how can we know the way? And then Jesus drops his verse that so many people, so well known. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Do you see some of these intertwining of the Trinity? Like you got the Father and the goal is the Father wants us to be in relationship with him, but we can't do it because we're sinful. So Jesus comes, he becomes the sacrifice and through faith in Jesus, we get to connect to the Father. <clears throat> Woo. A little teaching, preaching. He says, if you had really known me, you would know who my father is. And from now on, you do know him and have seen them. You can kind of see the disciples like, 
their eyes are moving. They're trying to piece this thing together. Like, okay, I think. And then Philip says, Lord, yeah, show us the father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replied, I'm visualizing him kind of shaking his head in disgust. He goes, I have been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am. In these next verses, if, if you kind of lean and listen, these next verses speak to that oneness of the Father and Jesus as part of one God. It also teaches the authority flow of the Father to the Son. It's another theological teaching point. Jesus is not lesser than the Father, but the Father is first among equals. There is a flow of authority. Jesus says, anyone who has seen, the, uh, seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but the Father who lives in me does his work through me. And I love this right here. Sometimes we're like, okay, can, Jesus, can you take about 27,000 chapters and teach this to us? No, he goes, just believe. Sometimes, it, sometimes we gotta get to a point where we know it's beyond our understanding and we have to choose to believe. And, I, and sometimes that can be a, a, a poor, uh, a, a poor trade-off for not having the, the tenacity to lean into Scripture. Oh, I don't need to explain, just believe. But there are moments where we do need to just pause, have faith, and say, okay, if you say it, I will believe it. Yes. Amen. Amen. He says, just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work that you have seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. That always blows my mind. Because I am going to the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son will bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And no, that's not a part where it gives us permission to treat Jesus like a genie. It's like anything, I need, all right, you know that car I want. You're like, you know, get your Bibles. All right, new car in Jesus' name, glorify the Father. That's not what that's about. Like the whole context of what we're talking about here is seeing what brings joy to the Father released through his kids. The goal is bringing glory to the Father, not glory to yourself. Where was I? Okay, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. I love that. Like that, that, can, that stands alone pretty... <laughs> If you love me, like, okay, I love God. All right, prove it. How do you love God? Well, you know, I just, I just, I just do. Like, we're good. It's like, no, we, we can prove that we love God by obeying the things that God tells us to do. That's challenging, but that's powerful and it's really good. And it's in the Bible. If you love me, obey my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. Here we go. Who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. Interesting. Jesus just said that he is the truth. Now we see the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth, which leads us back to who? Jesus. And someone said the Father, but that's true because it's, that's that flow of God and his nature and his attributes and the persons of God working together to capture humanity, to save us, to give us power for life and to bring us into a relationship ultimately with the Father. You see how these all work together. It says the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he, listen to this, he lives with you now and later will be in you. This is a huge statement right here. Underline it in your Bibles because this is a prophetic moment where Jesus is prophetically speaking of what we read in Acts chapter two 
where the Holy Spirit was poured out on those in the upper room, that early church, baptizing them, not just indwelling, this is for another week, but baptizing them in the Holy Spirit. So it's like, okay, the Holy Spirit was not up in heaven in cages waiting to be released because he's a part of God. He's always been engaged with everything that God's been doing. So yeah, now the Holy Spirit is with us, but there will come a time when the Holy Spirit doesn't just wanna be with you, he wants to make a home. He wants to be inside of you individually. Disciples didn't understand what was happening right right there, but they would soon understand what Jesus was talking about. It says, but when the Father sends, this is verse 26, skipping ahead. Verse 26, when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Speaking to some of the attribute of what the Holy Spirit accomplishes. All right, so now we're gonna skip down to John chapter 16. John 15 is fantastic. You can read that this week, but I wanna hit a couple of verses in John 16 before we break this down. Starting in verse five, Jesus says, but now I am going away to the one who sent me and not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I have told you. But in fact, this is a good underline as well. It is best for you that I go away. At that point, I would have cut Jesus off. If I was one of the disciples in that conversation, I would have cut him off and been like, eh, eh, time out, question. Uh, it's not a question, no statement. No, it's not better that you go away. Like, I'm mad, I'm mad, like, as much as, like, we love Jesus, right? You, you, anybody love Jesus in here? Okay. We love Jesus, man. We love to have a relationship with Jesus. One day we'll get to see him. We want to know him. But imagine being able to actually walk on this earth, and you're like, man, I love Jesus, because he's right here. And you start, you're like, I can touch him. And you're poking him. He's like, why are you poking me? Because you're Jesus, and you're right here, and this is cool, and, and you're right here. And then one day Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to go, because it's, it's actually better if I go. I'd be like, no. How could it possibly be better for me because it's a little selfish. If you go, it's much better. Jesus, let me give you some advice. Anyone ever done that? It is better actually, Jesus, for me, if you stay. And Jesus goes on, he goes, no, it's better that I go because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Jesus does not say that he will send his own spirit. He refers to the Holy Spirit as a separate person who will not come if Jesus remains. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin. Important word, convict. It doesn't say condemn. It says he will convict the world of its sin. There's a big difference between the two. Condemnation is when we pass judgment and we want to just slam people. We want them to feel guilty for all the things they're doing. And maybe we do it to ourselves. We condemn ourselves. We feel bad. Oh, I messed up again. I'm never going to get this right. I don't even know why I'm even trying again. That's condemnation. But what conviction does is it shines light on the areas in our life and in our heart that God does not yet have possession of because we haven't surrendered it. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to get to this because it's in you and it doesn't need to be in you. It's not who you are. And so I'm gonna shine light on the areas in your life that are not actually who you are so that you can surrender them to God and he can remove them and transform you from the inside out. That's what the Holy Spirit does inside of us. That's not the only thing he does, but that's a big work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So in a church world like this, when we look at the world around us, our job does not have to be the Holy Spirit. We aren't the Holy Spirit. We don't have to do the job of the Holy Spirit. And I'm gonna be real with you. There's a lot that I see and I wanna pounce on it. I wanna be like, Holy Spirit, tag me in. I'm coming in. I got you on this one. And I just wanna elbow drop off the top ropes and let people know what they're doing wrong. 
and I'm going to show them a scripture, and I'm going to show them a verse, and I'm going to tell them they need to get their stuff together. And the Holy Spirit's like, you're really bad at this. Move, please. Get out the way. You know, that's what the Holy Spirit's trying to help me out with. And then the Holy Spirit's like, let me do what I do. What I need you to do, church, is I need you to love people. What I need you to do, church, is to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, what I need you to do is stop using the church as the place where you hide from the world and let church be the place that energizes you to go live in the world. Because if you said yes to me, I didn't zap you back up to heaven. You're still here and you're here for a purpose. So it doesn't matter where you go, what influence I give you, what gifts I give you, what career I give you, what family I give you and where I place you, I'm placing you there on mission for my kingdom before you're there for your kingdom. Woo! It's getting hot. Spiritually. Anyway. I totally lost my place. And when he comes... He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. There, there is a judgment, guys. Like there is a coming judgment. And for those who are under the blood of Christ, we don't have to be afraid of that because it's the blood of Christ that has covered our sins. When the Father looks at us, when that time comes, he doesn't see us in our sinful condition. He sees us redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why there should be something that lights, and, lights on fire inside of us when we have loved ones and family and friends that don't know him because they're not living under the covering of the blood of Christ. And there is a coming judgment. Whenever that comes, we don't know. Is it today? Is it tomorrow? Is it a million years from now? We don't know. And that's not even the point. The point is that we live every day with a conviction and a passion that there are people who don't know the love of God. They don't know that they can be forgiven. They don't know that the broken world in which they're living and the life they're living, that God has something better for them. And so we got to love them. We have to be in proximity. We have to have relationship. We can't go hide in the hills and wait for Jesus to come back. That's not what we're called to do. Says the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. And this is why Jesus said that. Like if we were like, well, what is sin? Is this sin? Is that? Give me a list. What are all the list of sins? The sin is not truly believing who Jesus is. Because when we reject the revelation of who Jesus is, we also remove ourselves from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we begin to live a life that lives in rejection of Jesus. Even though we may not think that, that may not be our thought. Like today I'm gonna live in rejection of Jesus. Like that's not what we're thinking about. But that's what we ended up doing. We reject the revelation of Jesus. Because if we are embracing the revelation of Jesus, every day we wake up realizing that I need to be humble before the Lord. And I need to live repentant before the Lord. Because I'm not who I was yesterday, but I'm also not who God created me to be fully. And so I still need more of the Holy Spirit so that I can become more of the man of God, the woman of God that I was created to be. And that's, that's, that begins the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So a Convo Church, um, culture is really important. You know, if you, got a, if you have a family, you have culture. If you have a business, you should have a healthy culture. Uh, our church has a culture that we try to maintain because it keeps us who we feel like God's asked us to be as a church. And the number one culture statement that we have at Convo Church is that Jesus is our message. And what we mean by that is it doesn't mean we're gonna read John three sixteen every Sunday, but what it does mean is that every time we show up, we're gonna talk about Jesus. Because that's really, that's ultimately what everything goes to and goes through. And so everything's about Jesus, but we got to understand Jesus fulfilled his assignment on earth and returned back to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could come and begin to fulfill his assignment in our lives through the church so that the kingdom of God could be advanced. And that's the reality that we're living in today. Now, Jesus, some people are like, Jesus wasn't real. That's even, that's just, that's intellectually irresponsible. 
because all throughout history, there are non-Christian theologians who have faithfully and consistently documented the reality that Jesus was a real person. Not some, it's not, this isn't mythology. Like he's not just a figure, he was a real person. And how much more faith does it still take us to believe in all of Jesus, even though it's documented, he's real, like we've got his words and we're still like, I just need a lot of faith. How much more faith does it take for us to say yes to who the Holy Spirit is? It takes a lot more faith because it's, it's less of what we can control. It's less of what we can wrap our minds around. It's less of what we can contain. It's like, yeah, I wish he was a physical person. It'd be easier to contain. Well, he's not a spirit. And so that means that us being finite in our understanding, finite in our humanity, uh, limited in our understanding, eventually have to get to that point where we're like, I can't understand anymore, <laughs> but I know that you are more. So what do I do with that, God? I just have to remain open. I have to remain humble. I have to embrace the grace of God to say, God, I need you every single day. I'm not gonna be comfortable with what I now know of the Holy Spirit. I want to know more of who the Holy Spirit is. Now, here's one of the cool things before we move to wrap up. God in eternity, we, we will never be able to know the fullness of who God is, even in eternity. I've heard some people say like, when I get to heaven, we'll just know it all and boom, just, I'll just know God. But like, no, you won't. <laughs> like, because he'll still be infinite. And even though in eternity, we live for eternity, like our comprehension is still not infinite. Well, we'll have 100% of our brain. Yeah, that's still what, like, a, like, a, like a fingernail clipping of God's existence, right? It's like, no. So, so we don't have to stress with the unknown of who God is in this life because God says, okay, I'm going to, the Holy Spirit is going to inspire people to tell you what you need to know about me. And I don't know about you, but even in 100 lifetimes, I probably still could not conceive in my brain and my spirit everything about God that's even revealed right here. But this is what has been given to us so that we can have a framework to know who God is. I'm gonna give you two things right here to, to finish this up on the person of the Holy Spirit. Here's the first one. And this, these are super practical, but you ha we have to start here. The personhood of the Holy Spirit is personal. He's personal. He's not just a thing that's out there floating around that we can't connect with and that we can't know and who doesn't really fully know us. It's just kind of like this, this spirit, this energy out there. No, the Holy Spirit is personal. Like he, he, when, when we say yes to Jesus, the very first thing that happens for salvation to take place is the Holy Spirit comes and indwells our spirit. Now, interesting, we're made in the image of God and God is three in one. Guess what? So are you. Your body, your soul, and your spirit. Interesting how even within that, we carry the attributes of God. And yes, God has a physical body. His name is Jesus. Sometimes we gotta, you, you kind of go home and think about some of this stuff and be like, oh, mind blown. It's like Jesus is still a physical body. Think about that. Like he's, it says he ascended back to heaven. He sits on the right hand of the throne next to the Father. The cool thing is, you know what he's doing? He's praying for you. Like, man, I just, nobody's praying for me. No, Jesus is. And if you're gonna start somewhere, that's a pretty good start. You have the, you have the creator of the universe. You have the, the Messiah praying for you by name, watching your situations, believing for you when you don't believe for yourself but he's still a physical, he still has a physical body. And so the Holy Spirit wants to be personal. It means that he, he, wants to, he wants you to know him and he wants you to know how much he knows you. He wants to interact with you. He wants to engage with you and how you need to be connected with God. 
I don't know if you knew this, but you're a little bit different than the person sitting next to you. You're a little bit different than the person who's in front of you. And God knows that. And he knows that there are ways that you need to be connected with that other people might not be. And he's personal. And so he's coming to you to build a relationship that is unique to you, unique to your spiritual DNA, your spiritual thumbprint. God is coming to build a personal relationship with you to strengthen you in the unique life and calling that he has given to you. And here's the second one. The person of the Holy Spirit is experiential. And I think this experience piece is where within the church world, we start to get a little weird, like, wow, okay, okay. Like you got me with the scriptures, that's good. You got me with, okay, he's, a pers- he's personal, I got you. But man, now we're talking experience, it could get a little weird because people start to like, you know, blame stuff on the Holy Spirit all the time in their weird experiences. And if you came from a church background that's more conservative, that might not be a problem for you. If you came from a church background like mine where it was more conservative and Pentecostal, there was some stuff going on. I've seen some, can I get an amen? Some of y'all have seen some stuff. And you're like, is that God? I, doesn't, where's the script? I can't really find that. I don't know what's going on here. And so when we can't understand something, our human nature tends to want to do away with it, right? And that, that's human nature. That's for anybody. Like, I, I don't get it, so I'm not even going to mess with it. I just, just tell me what I need to know. Tell me what's factual, and I can walk with that, something that's tangible. But no relationship is without experience. Has anyone ever had a, a relationship with somebody that was zero experience? If you did, it did not last long. I'm going on a date with somebody and you're just like, yeah, there was nothing. Well, you're not going for a second one. There's a good good chance that one's done. No, relationship has experience. Relationship is experiential. And if the Holy Spirit is personal and it's individual for you and it's a relationship, there will be experience that comes along with that. So, but let me lay this ground rule because I think this is important. I think this is healthy. Not every experience through interaction with the Holy Spirit will be exemplified in scripture. And this is what I mean by that. There are not a list of 10 things in the Bible that say these are, the, um, these are the justifiable experiences that you can have with the Holy Spirit. Pick one or two of them, right? It doesn't, doesn't have that. But here's the, here's, the, here's the balance to that. But our experiences with the Holy Spirit will not violate Scripture. Does that make sense? We won't violate. That doesn't mean it's gonna be in there. So like I said, if the Holy Spirit is personal, there may be something in you where the Holy Spirit needs to give you an experience to let you know that he is real, to let you know that there is hope for whatever the situation you're coming out of that is gonna be completely different from somebody else. But just because someone has an experience that you don't have doesn't mean that that experience is not real but the experiences that we justify through the Holy Spirit will never violate scripture. That is so important for us to understand. Uh, Cause I, I don't know about you, I've seen some stuff over the years where I'm like, ah, <laughs> that's definitely seems like a scriptural violation. And there's some stuff where I'm like, that's weird, but I don't think it violates scripture. So whatever God thinks that person needs, God bless them. That's not my experience, but it doesn't violate scripture. Anyway, you get where I'm going with that. <clears throat> I think it's super important for us to understand that if the Holy Spirit is supernatural, then there will be supernatural experiences that some people have that might be more than others. And you know, the other part of our human nature that I think we're challenged with, and it's okay, I struggle with this too, is comparison, right? So it's like, man, that person had this experience and I've never had that. So like, do I even like have the Holy Spirit or did it, is it real for me? And so we start adjusting, but here's the deal, like the, the Holy Spirit never intended to be about an experience. If you're in a relationship just for an experience, you're not in a healthy relationship. 
That's kind of like, if I can get really raw for a second, you didn't get this in the first service. That's like people who go into a relationship just for the sex. They just want the experience, but they're not in it for the person. They're in it for themselves. And when, they, when that dries up, they, they, they leave that relationship and go into the next one that they can suck the life out of. And that's how a lot of people can tend to treat the Holy Spirit. I'm just in this for the experience. And people will church hop because, well, I felt this, but then I not feel it anymore. So let's go somewhere where I can feel this. Oh, I felt this, and all of a sudden I don't feel it anymore. The Holy Spirit has never been about what you feel. What you feel that is healthy will come from a place of that personal connection and relationship. No one denomination, movement, or theological persuasion has a corner on the full understanding of the Holy Spirit. So that means that we have to allow ourselves to be humble, not arrogant in our theology, but humble and saying, God, you've told us what it is that you want us to know. And even in our own lifetime, we still probably can't wrap our mind around all of it. So God, would you help us to be gracious and humble and open, help us to be as accurate as we possibly can while at the same time desperately hungry for everything that you are, Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, church, if we, if we lean into this journey, it has the power to absolutely transform your life. It absolutely can transform everything in your life. And that's what I'm believing for today. Can I pray for you? <clears throat> we wanna uncensor the Holy Spirit and let that be the cry of your heart. Holy Spirit, I don't wanna censor you. I don't wanna, I don't wanna pick and choose in my life what I'm comfortable with that I wanna, that I wanna you know, hang on to. God, I wanna be open to everything. And I wanna trust God with this process. So let's pray. Father, we just, we thank you that your word reveals who you are to us in every part of who you are. All the attributes of the Father, the Son, and your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray for us as we go through this series as a church that we would allow our hearts to be open that we would allow ourselves to be challenged. God, we're not in this to be comfortable. We're in this to be transformed. And God, sometimes transformation can be fun and sometimes it can be challenging. But Father, let us stand before you today and just say, God, we're humble, we're hungry, and we want everything that you have for us, God. God, we see the world around us. We see the world that even that we're living in. We see our family, we see our friends. Maybe it's even the own condition of ourself that we see in the mirror, God, and we know we need you. We can't do it on our own. We don't have enough strength to walk this life out in a way that honors you. We need you. So Father, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us like you have faithfully done throughout time? And would you help us to be wide open to everything that you would have us have personally and experientially with your spirit for the purpose of our life being transformed into your image so that our world can see a light that actually draws them to a place of hope. Thank you again for joining us on the Convo Church podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Convo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you want to sow into the ministry, go to ConvoChurch.com and simply click the Give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories and tag us at Convo Church. Thanks again for listening. And make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.